Anyone got a word? Romans chapter 2 is where we're going to be. So uh, the week before last, we preached on authority Sunday morning and how it's not a new doctrine. In fact, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the word of God, comes with it authority. And sadly, uh, whatever has happened because of the flesh, we have taken out the authority in God's word. I'm telling you right now, the authority of God's word is greater than any circumstance, greater than any situation, greater than any diagnosis. Greater than any problem. Now, you may not believe that. Once again, it takes faith. And faith comes from the hearing of the word. But faith, it's faith enacted to have that authority. But I've been stirred with it all week. Uh, and God's been dealing with me when it comes to authority. And, and let me just say this. I, uh, leadership in itself comes with authority. And authority comes with leadership. And maybe you're here tonight and you're in some sense of leadership. You say, what do you mean I'm not a leader? If you're a parent, you're a leader. If you're a teacher, you're a leader. If you're a spouse, you're a leader. If you're a pastor, you're in any kind of ministry, you're a leader. You know, uh, whatever it might be. I wrote down tons of them. If you're an employer, if you're a boss, if you're a supervisor, if you've got people under you, you're a leader. There are so many different aspects that are all form of leadership and all of them come with some sense of authority. Now. In my time in authority, when it comes to leadership, not just as a pastor, but in the secular side, in, in the world side, as far as business side, I have I have always thought to have true authority, it would it takes to motivate people because that's the point of leadership and that's the point of authority. This is the definition of authority: the power or right to give orders, make decisions, and enforce obedience. And then the other definition. Of authority is a person or organization having power, control in a particular, typically political or administrative sphere. So I've always said, and because you see it so often, if I'm going to motivate someone to do something, let's say there's something that needs to be done, whether that be spiritual or whether that be physical, the first thing we say is, well, it has the best motivation is fear. If they respect me, if they fear me, then they'll do it. And I've always kind of thought that. Once again, if you're too friendly, if you're too compassionate, then you really won't be able to get anything done. But I started, uh, God began to deal with me this last week that actually, even though fear is a motivator, and, and that is a motivator to get people to do things, to make decisions, but love, if done right, is actually a greater motivator for leadership. And what happens is, because we try to do it in the carnal side, and we don't let Christ, which once again is love, to uh, administer that leadership, we get it all mixed up. So we're going to talk about that tonight. I want to turn to uh, Romans chapter 2. We're going to read a couple verses there. We're going to be back in Luke chapter 7. Remember a week before last, on Sunday morning, we talked about uh, the centurion and his sixth servant. Yeah. So, and we're going to talk about what God showed me. And this is really the basis of Luke 7, but I want to show you here in uh, Romans chapter 2. So look at verse 3 and 4 with me. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? So I want you to, if you're taking notes, if you're trying to take mental notes, I want you to understand that what Paul is saying here is that there was a, a, a leadership, there are people here that are that are judging people's actions. They, once again, that they are thinking that their authority to dictate, it, it, to do it, but once again, the problem is, and we're going to talk about it later, so I want to, I want to keep this in the side, in the back of your mind. The, the example, the doctrine of the example, if we're going to truly lead, lead, have leadership and authority and love, 
A, a very important aspect of that is the example. And this is what Paul was saying here. He said, you want, you're judging people for doing things, and yet you're doing the very same things. So the example already is shattered. And I can say without a doubt, the greatest motivator when it comes to love is if there's nothing that so, you're going to make someone else do that you wouldn't do it yourself. When I worked for my father, that was what he said. I wasn't very skilled. I couldn't machine. I couldn't weld. But he said, yep, you can get dirty. So get your boots on, get your gloves on, go out there and work. And I got more respect. It motivated more people because I wasn't just someone barking orders, wasn't just someone in authority pushing my weight around. And what was that I wasn't motivated by fear anymore, but out of love, which was an example. And, and let, we'll get into that. I'm actually getting ahead of myself. But there is no greater example of authority, no greater example of leadership, and no greater example of love than Jesus Christ. Listen, I mean... Look at what he did. What an example he set for us. So Paul says that. He says, The judges them which do such things and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God. Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing, they didn't understand it, that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Which once again, in a spiritual sense, we're talking about authority and leadership. That's what repentance is. To dictate authority that you need to change your life. Now once again, what they were trying to dictate that fear was the greatest motivator. But Paul says actually it's not. The greatest motivator for repentance, if you're going to have people change, it's actually God's love. It's his patience. It's his long suffering. It's, it's his goodness. So we want to talk about that tonight. So back to Luke 7. Let's turn to Luke 7. Amazing Grace says what? It was grace that taught my heart to and then grace my So wait a minute. So we see that that first is authority that once again our hearts are convicted and we think it's motivated by fear. That's what the once again the eternity is real. Uh, so many people they, they got saved simply that they didn't have to go to hell and they realized that then they come to find out that actually the motivating factor was not the wrath of God because if it was truly the wrath of God that was motivating them to repentance then obviously God didn't have to do anything. He could have just left us in our sin and sent us to hell. But actually, He loved us so much that He would tell us the reality of our sin Amen. and the plan of salvation to repent and escape it. So it's actually the goodness of God. But it's grace that taught my heart to fear and then grace my fears relieved. So we see this motivating factor. And I want to, I want to keep that in the back of mind because you have two motivating factors. You have love and you have fear. Now both will work. And we're going to talk about that because love has to be received. If it's not received, then the motivating factor of love will never work. And there are often times that you can show someone love and love and love, but they won't receive it. And there comes a time when you have to say, okay, I can do more. I'm going to continue to love. And that's what God's love is. Grace is so sufficient. But ultimately, if you reject that love, then sure enough, the motivating factor, we know. Because when he comes back, what happens? Every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess. Now, he motivates us to do that now simply by his goodness and his forbearance and long-suffering. I bowed my knee voluntarily because he was so good that he would save me out of my sin. But sure enough, if that love, after so much time, and finally he cuts it off, there will be a motivating factor, and that's what follows, which is the wrath of God. Now, he doesn't want to motivate that way. And I can say in leadership, when I'm a parent, I don't want to motivate my fear. I think I can do better. As a husband, I don't want to motivate by fear. I want to motivate by love. As a pastor, I want to motivate not by fear, but by love. But sure enough, it has to be received. So Luke chapter 7, we, we read it week before last. We talked about the centurion servant. 
And in his conversation of the men that he sends to God, I almost pictured him as a dictator. He's a little bit brash, the way he has this conversation or he sends the message to Jesus. We're going to read it, and then I'll show you what God gave me. Verse 2, Luke 7, And this certain centurion servant, who was dear unto him, was sick and ready to die. And when he heard of Jesus, he sent unto him the elders of the Jews, beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. So obviously we see authority there, that not just anybody he sent, but actually he sent the elders of the Jews. So automatically you see this guy had some bit of authority right here just to be able to do that. And when they came to Jesus... They besought him instantly, saying that he was worthy uh, for whom he should do this, for he loveth our nation, and he hath built us a synagogue. Then Jesus went with them. And when he was not far from the house, look what the Lord led me right here. Because once again, let's, let's skip down a little bit to verse 8. We'll come back in a second. So when he has this conversation with Jesus, or they do, he says, For I am a man set under authority, having unto me soldiers... And I say unto them, and I'm just, uh, once again, I'm a visual type of person, but I get this, this mean, grizzled dictator that I, because he says right here, go and he goeth. I don't have to coerce him. I don't have to talk him into it. That's the kind of authority I have. That I say, go and he goeth, and another come and he cometh, and to my servant do this, and he doeth it. So I've always understood, I thought, that maybe this man was motivated by respect or by fear. But now let's go back up, and this is what God showed me. Because first he sends the elders of the Jews yes. to go. And then it says this in verse five, 6. Then Jesus went with him, and when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent what? Friends. <laughs> he sent friends. So I'm like, man, what is a greater motivator? Is it fear or is it love? I asked Megan, I said, I'm going to be honest with you. Hypothetically. You have a boss that says, I need you to do this. Are you going to do it? Well, yeah. Uh, it's not even on your day, your work. You've already clocked out. They need you to help on a Saturday. Are you going to do it? Yeah, most likely. Okay. Now I want to ask you. She doesn't know if I go. <laughs> no, like, let's say a friend calls you. Your best friend calls you and says, I need you to do the very same thing. Who are you more apt to do? And she said, the friend. Because it's, it's, a, it's a different aspect. Not only is it not about obligation. It's not about respect or authority it's simply because of love it's because of friendship i want to do it because i love them you know and that's the thing about church and, and all of stuff i don't want to read the bible i don't want to tell you to read the bible because you have to read the bible that's motivated by fear you know so many people have lived their life coming to church because it's out of obligation and that's fine and, and that will motivate because people will stay in church all their life but i'm telling you it will never motivate the same way as love as friendship. It just, it just, it makes everything personal because you're not doing it because you have to, but you're doing it because you want to. Yeah. And you have to understand about the example that Christ set. He didn't come to die because he had to. He's the king of glory. He didn't have to do anything. He simply came because he loved us. And he wanted, he said that. Remember he said that? He said, no longer do I call you servant, but I call you friends. That's what he said. So I never saw that. And as I, I just read it the week before last. And as God dealt with me again, I'm like, oh my gosh, this guy had friends. Yes, he had authority. But he wasn't leading by fear. I, I take it that it says he sent friends, and there's no wasted word in God. There's no wasted word. There's not a period out of place. There's not a semicolon out of place. If it's italicized, if it's in red letters, I'm telling you, there's a purpose for it. And God just opened up a, a, a treasure trove when I just saw that one word, friends. I went, wait, this guy's, yeah, he, he has a bit of rash speech, but this guy has friends. And those friends were concerned with the things he was concerned about. And that motivated them. 
It motivated them. So I want to turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Corey and Lindsay have been doing a thing on Monday night called Making a Marriage. It's been really good. I don't mean to call you out, but it's been very good. It has. And uh, if you get a chance to watch it, I think they do it on Mondays. They put it on Facebook. It's, it's real encouraging. But uh, God began to deal with me because actually Corey Durden had talked about, he just mentioned, you know, God's been dealing about leadership. And, I, and, and that's what we're in. I mean, God has called us not to just sit around with our feet. I mean, we're called into things in our life as husbands and wives and mothers and fathers and, and, and workers. We're called into leadership to lead. Yes, sometimes we lead by following, by example, but we're called into leadership. Not just to say, I don't care, nothing matters, you know, but God just really deal with me when it comes to motivating by love and not by, and not by fear. So Ephesians chapter 5, we know the verse is very clear because I remind my wife all the time of verse chapter 12, of verse 22. <laughs> Anyways, look what it says. Because I want to talk about this. John says, for him to increase, we must what? Decrease. No other way. There is no other way for Christ to increase, which once again, the head of authority in anything in your life ought to be Christ. It needs to be him. Because once again, it takes pride. It takes self out of it. If you elevate Christ to a, a higher level of authority than what you're at, I don't care what position. But if you're saying, you know what, I have my own ideas, I own my thoughts, that's fine. But we need to elevate Christ to the head of our household, the head of our career, the head of whatever we're doing. So Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23 are sometimes very difficult for couples to abide by. And I'll, and I'll explain why as what God has dealt with me. And, and once again... I'm just preaching to me. <laughs> I'm just reheating it and feeding it to you. But wives, submit. Now that's that's an authority statement right there. To lower. To submit. To lower. To, to give in. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. So we see this. The lowering of self, the elevating of Christ, right? But the problem is we isolate these verses because of pride and because of self. And we say, well, this is the way that God ordained it. That's motivated by fear. You have to because God said you have to. But that's not the context of it here. And it says in verse 23, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. And then he says, that, I mean, then he says, Therefore, and I want you to make note of this, we're going to talk about it here a little bit. Therefore, as the church is subject, subject, another, uh, once again, you have a, the master, and you have a subject, once again, like a pupil, but you say the church is subject under, unto Christ. So let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. And then it says this, because you have to take it in the full gamut of, of how God's revealing it. And then he says this, husbands, love your, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. So that giving, that laying down ourselves. So we see two sides of submission. So if it's done correctly, there's a better motivation for a healthy marriage in the submission of both and the elevation of God's authority. So once again, wives say, oh, wait a minute, fear then I have to submit. But a wife will be more apt to submit when they realize that the husband has already laid down. So once again, we think of it as authority and in hierarchy because the wife submits. But once again, the husband should be already down here. And we're left both humbled, but who's elevated? Christ. That's the beautiful thing. But... Husbands either say, well, you got to submit, and I'm up here. But that's not what the scripture says. It says they can, they humble themselves because they trust because you're the Savior of the body. You've already laid your life down. And the same. And I think it just makes such fertile ground for a healthy marriage when it's a greater motivator than me just to tell my wife, you have to. 
Because that's what the Bible says. And they were, you say that, you'd laugh. But there are relationships that are like that. And, that, and that's the thing. And there are some wives that because of that dogmatic uh, hierarchy, that they refuse to submit. Because they say, you're not going to tell me what to do. You don't care what the Bible says. But the reality is, if it's done correctly, by the example of Christ, once again, this is where it is. There is no greater doctrine of leadership and authority than seeing the example of Christ. That's why he goes back to it. Unto the Lord. Just as Christ did for the church. That's what we see here. So then God opened up 2 Timothy 1 and 7. We know the verse all that well. And we kind of speak it in regards to facing things of fear. But God kind of said, Brad, think of it in terms of authority. And how we motivate people to change and how we do things. Because he says what? For God has not given us a spirit of to motivate by not only to receive fear but also to because once again to love my neighbor I have to love what right so I can't take in receive fear and then take it out so he's not giving us a spirit of fear but of power or authority and love and of a sound mind it's the best doctrine you can see right there once again we have the authority to be motivated by love and to make sound decisions well, well let's go back for a second to the example. So turn to Philippians chapter 4 verse 9. If you're going to motivate in your life. In any aspect. As a parent. Uh, I, this is trivial. But I'm a nail biter. And I hate it. I've been biting my nails since I was a toddler. And it's. I did the. You know. The fingernail polish and stuff like that. And I'm like. That's like. Don't taste that bad. <laughs> it's kind of spicy. <laughs> but the reality is, I tell Sophie and the kids, stop biting your nails. And what do they tell me? I'll stop when you stop. Yeah, yeah right in the gut. But they're right. Because to motivate by fear is one thing, and yes, they may listen for a day, but to motivate by love and to motivate by an example is so important. You know, if you're going to be a parent, the best thing to motivate is by an example. If you're going to be an employer, the best way to motivate is by example. You know, if you're if you're going to tell your employees not to steal and not to cheat, the best thing to do is not do lousy business decisions and cheat and steal yourself. You know, that'd be the sound decision because they're going to see it. And they're going to say, this guy don't care, you know. So we see the same thing in marriages and, and, and husbands and wives. You say, well, I want you to be a good wife. Okay, we'll be a good husband. Or I want you to be a good husband. We'll be a good wife. It's all about setting the example. And we have no excuse because Christ is our example. And you say, well, that's just too hard to do. This is why we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Because we're not manufacturing it anymore. We're now relying on His grace to do that which was unable to do. We talk about forgiveness all the time. Talk today about forgiveness. I'm telling you, if you've got an audience, you brother, if you've got it, you've held a grudge for years, people say, I just can't forgive them. Yeah, you're not able to. It is not something that can be manufactured in the, in, the, in the physical realm. It has to be done. That's why we our weapons are not carnal. They're spiritual for what? The pulling down of strongholds. It's only by God's ability that we'll be able to do it. And to be able to live by this example, to motivate by love. Because that's the thing that, that I deal with. If they're not going to listen, well, I'm just going to I'm just gonna shove my weight around. And you say, well, I can't motivate by love because they'll walk all over me. And that's not true. That is not true. It can be done. But it has to be done through the leadership of Christ. So... Philippians chapter 4 verse 9, Paul says it best. Those things which he had both learned and received and heard. Now that sounds almost at the beginning like motivating by fear. Because I've told you, I've instructed you, you better do it. But he goes on. 
and seen in me. He says, I, it'd be different if I was telling you to do one thing and I was doing something completely different, but I'm motivating simply by an example of love. That what we see, we're in this together and we're going to do it together. And seen in me, do and the God of peace shall be with you. First John 1, 3 kind of reiterates the same thing. It says, that which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you that we also have may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. It says things that you have seen and heard. Not just heard, but you've seen it. You've seen the example, you've seen it, and this is what it looks like to truly have true motivation to fellowship. I'm telling you, if it's done correctly, there is no greater motivator in this world. And when it comes to reaching our community, uh, we can reach, I mean, and I do like, I think, once again, we're going to talk about here in a minute, about the second part of Romans chapter 2. I would love to reach this community and just love people through their sin. I would, if they'll receive it. And we'll show an example, and we'll listen, we'll love on them, we'll invest their life, and we'll be available, and we'll do everything we can. And, and we want to motivate by love, because I think it's a better motivating factor to get people to change. To get people to change is motivating. But, so we turn back to Romans chapter 2, and there comes a time where if we don't change, if motivating isn't ultimately the, the thing that's working, because Paul says, listen, it is the riches of his goodness. That is it. It's the riches of the goodness, his forbearance, his long-suffering. That is what causes change. That is the greatest motivating factor when it comes to repentance. But what has happened, and I think to be honest, uh, in churches for years, they've seen so much change motivated by fear. Let's be honest. It, you know, I, it does motivate and it does cause people because hell is a real thing. Ronnie, like you said, brother, if, I, I was thinking as you were praying. If one touch, if his tongue was in torment, or he said, just give me a water for my tongue. Imagine being consumed fully by the, by the fire of hell. And I'll be honest with you. Uh, I don't like fire. It, it probably is really hot. That is not the scariest thing when it comes to hell for me. It says the flame can't be quenched. The torment never stops. It's endless pain. But to me, in outer darkness, people say, I don't like Kevin Jennings' testimony. He says, I got saved in Sunday school class because I hated the dark. He said, I don't want to be in the dark. It scared me half to death. But I don't think we truly understand in this realm what it means to be out of the presence of God. Now, that's what hell is. Right now, I don't care how far in sin you are. You can be sitting in a bar. You can be doing dope. You can be running around with your wife. Does not matter. There is still a presence of God, a, a, a wooing Holy Spirit that's trying to give. But I'm telling you, hell is, is disconnected from the presence of God. And, I, and to me, it's a vacuum. I can't even think of it. Because I try to think back before I was saved and what it would feel like to, to not have God in my life. But the fact is, he, he did. He was in my life. He was trying to do work these things that I would that I would submit my life to. But I'm telling you, hell, you are disconnected from God. If that don't scare you, I don't know what will. But that's not what he wants to motivate and buy. See, it's easy to say that and just preach that. Listen, if you don't, that's not what he wants to motivate. He wants to motivate by love and by an example that, listen, I'm showing you. What it means to be loved. I'm, I mean, he loves us unconditionally. He's showing us that. But Romans 2, verses 5 and 6. That if the motivating factor of love doesn't work, that this is what's following. And as a parent, I struggle with that. Because I want to motivate by love. But ultimately, if I see my children being disobedient. And if I see them heading in the wrong direction. I'm going to try my best to motivate by love. But if love doesn't work, I'm telling you. Fear and, and, and wrath and judgment does come next. 
And I'm telling you, folks, listen, the love of God is present right here in the world today. Absolutely present in the world today. But I'm telling you, there's going to come a time when if that love is not received, and he says, that's it. Yeah. And what follows is the next motivating factor. And it's judgment. And it's scary. And it's wrath. As a pastor, I, I want to preach love. And if you're going through something, if you're living out of the will of God, if you're living in rebellion and disobedience to God, I want to love you through it. But I'm going to be honest with you. If that love is not received, there's going to come a time when I'm telling you, <laughs> only thing that's going to motivate you is fear. Only thing that's going to motivate you is to say, listen, that's it. I can't do anything else. If you're going to live that way, there's consequences to living that way. Contrary to God's will for your life. I don't want to get to that place. I'd rather sit down. Let's work on it. If you need money, if you need help, if you need counseling, let's get all that. Let's love you through it. But if you're not going to receive it, if you're going to reject it, and that's what happens sometimes. The love of God sometimes, because people are in sin, they, they, they distance themselves. Uh, I was talking to a friend yesterday the other day. Sometimes when you're living in the center of God's will, you'll notice people won't hang around with you. Because <laughs> it's convicting. You know? They don't want it. Because it, it's there's something, it's that Holy Spirit that is drawing out their own false spirits. Once again, we're not saying anything. We're just living it by example. But anyway, so he says this in verse 5 and 6. But after, but after, that's the key. Best motivating thing in, the, in our life is the love of God. But after, thy hardness and impotent, impotent heart treasureth up unto themselves thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judge of God who will. This is it. Who will render to every man according to his needs. That's it. And the reality is this. God loves you. He does. And he wants to motivate change in your life. And as a parent, and as a husband and wife, we want to motivate by love. And I want to encourage you to be an example to motivate love. You may not think it's going to work as good as fear and respect, but I'm telling you, it will work better. Have a relationship, one that can be trusted, one that they, they know that you mean well. And I'm telling you, there's nothing you won't be able to go to someone with and say, hey, I, I'm concerned. I'm telling you, if I have a good friend, if I don't know somebody, I'm not going to trust them. If they come and say, Brad, you're living wrong, I'm not going to trust I don't know them. They don't know anything about me. But if I have a friend that I have a relationship that, uh, and I have a trust with and a love with, if they would come to me and say, Brad, we go way back, don't we? Yeah, yeah we do. And, and, hey, listen, we've been through it all, up and down and in and out, right? Yeah? Can I be honest with you? I'm going to believe that person because that is a motivating factor, that motivating factor of love. But the reality is it doesn't change that if I'm not willing to receive it. And there comes a time in any type of leadership, in any time of authority, that there is a reality that some people, I can't understand why people don't get saved. <laughs> I can't. You go, man, when you feel the spirit and you feel the love of God just surrounding you, how can someone not get saved? The reality is some hearts are so hardened by sin and, and by other things that they will not receive the love of God. And sadly, what they are doing is building up themselves to that day of wrath when God will come back. And I hate to think that. So God just was dealing with me because uh, I'm in leadership. Delbert's in leadership. And if one thing I've learned from him is the value of friendship. <laughs> And the value of leading through love. Because I'm a confrontational kind of guy. And, and me and Delbert fit right well with them. Because he, and I've seen it, I go, well, I think we can just tell them to do it and they'll do it. But Delbert will love you. And I'm telling you, it motivates way more than anything I could do. And, and I learn a lot from that. Because what we see in the centurion, he says, go and go and stay and stay and, and do and do. But it, it's, it, I think you get a whole lot more out of it. 
I don't know. Maybe this is just for you tonight. I don't know. Maybe you're in leadership. Maybe you're, maybe you're struggling. Maybe you've got relationships in your life or people in your life that are not listening. They don't, they don't seem to respect your authority. Doesn't seem like there's any trust right there. And you're at your wit's ends. I'm telling you, let the love of Christ motivate for them to change. Ted, yes, sir. Um, as you were coming to get me this evening, you come up when the ink was turning around. Yeah. A little faith said, I want to go to church. Right. I want to go to church. I want to go to church. Would you pray for her? And whenever body gets home, would you remember to pray that her parents won't let her come to church? And that's yeah. the problem. She wants to come, but her parents won't let her. You're absolutely right. See, I'm going to tell you, Ted, the greatest motivating factor you can do in your life is just be that example. I know you're in a place where you can't you can't push your weight around, but I'm telling you, just your Christian example in that household is already motivating her to say, I want to be in church. You're not even... Anything. So I understand we're going to pray for Faith. Faith's a nine-year-old little granddaughter, beautiful sweetheart of a girl. Ted's in a, a predicament there where his his kids are not churched, his son's not churched, his son's girlfriend's not churched, and Ted really wants to see them all saved. And I, I bless you, Ted, for that, brother. I appreciate that. Yeah. But listen, who wants to be motivated by fear? <laughs> no, no hand? What? You're kidding me. Who wants to be motivated by love? Right? And is Christ not that example? Amen. Right? He's given us that beautiful example of what it means to motivate our love. And I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better pastor. And, and I want you guys to be better in, in your life. And, and I'm telling you, you think you can do a lot with fear and respect. But I'm telling you, try love. Try love just once. So, all right, we're going to... Sonny, let's get a song. Uh, we'll dismiss a little early tonight. I just, that's all I got. I'm not going to carry much longer. If you've got a word for the Lord, you stand and give it. And let me just say this. Maybe this message for you. Maybe if you've got a, maybe you know a friend. Maybe you've got a friend in your life right now that isn't where they need to be. And you're worried about them. And you're thinking, oh my gosh, I don't want to harp on them. I don't want to push them away. If I address it, then man, it could cause problems. Have you thought about doing it in love? To try it in love. Go to them, say, listen. In love, I'm telling you, this is, I'm telling you, there's authority that comes with it. There's authority that will come with it, with the love of God. Because we are given not a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and love and a sound mind. All right, Rob, you go ahead. Let us stand.